0: a series on biblical worldview and uh, the biblical mindset. And uh, we've gotten to the part where we're talking about content. I've talked about faith, hope, and love. Talked about uh, uh, prayer in the context of that. Uh, last week I mentioned, the uh, talked about the issue of lordship. And I want to follow up with that uh, to, today. Um, so let me give you just a brief synopsis of last week, so you have that. Lordship is the place of authority uh, and judgment. A person who is Lord, uh, using this uh, term uh, that comes from the root Kyrios, so Lord, or Lord or Adonai in the Hebrew, that word is the idea of one who has authority to both give commands, but he also has the ability to make judgment or to judge and punish and reward those who obey. The basis of lordship, as I said last week, is creation and redemption. God is creator and he is redeemer and therefore can command us and make judgment on us. Now God has placed all authority in heaven and on earth in Jesus. That's Matthew 28. I uh, reminded you that that there's one exception to that. Uh, God the Father himself is not subject to Jesus, but all other things are. Now, why did he put uh, all authority in him? Uh, The basis of that is creation and redemption. The Lord God has created and redeemed his creation through his Messiah. And he has declared him to be Lord by resurrection from the dead. So our confession, Jesus is Lord based on faith in his resurrection, acknowledges this and that faith brings us to salvation. But if Jesus is Lord, he is able to command us and judge us. Those who confess him as Lord are confessing that they will obey him. And if they do not, they will suffer. Uh, That's the idea of his um, statement in Luke 6. Why do you call me Lord and not do the things that I say? So lordship is obedience. It's not words. And it has implication in this world and in the next, the kingdom to come. So that picks us up. Now the passage that was just read is part of a passage I alluded to last week. The scripture tells us that there are people who are going to come into the fellowship. God's people have never been a pure group. If you think about it, uh, Cain and Abel grew up in the same household. Uh, uh, so you have Cain and Abel, uh, you've got the two extremes. Uh, Seth also in that house, who becomes uh, the line of faithful. So, so the Israel was always filled with those who obeyed God and didn't obey. If you know anything about church history, it can sometimes make Israel's rebellion look like a picnic. Uh, the church has not been an improvement on the people of God. It's just been an extension uh, from Jewish sinners to Gentile sinners who struggle with this issue of lordship. And the scripture tells us that the enemy will sow tares among the wheat; that there will be false prophets, there will be wolves in sheep's clothing. Here, the, uh, Peter tells us that there will be those who sneak in uh, by subterfuge. They, they really are condemned people, but they'll give the appearance of being believers and they, uh, the last verse there, they despise authority. The word there should be translated lordship. They despise lordship. So I want you to look at Second Peter chapter 2. I want to look at uh, that passage starting where uh, the reading just left off. Verse 9 says, The Lord knows uh, how to rescue the godly from temptation and keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. Especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise lordship. What we have is we have people within the body of the Messiah who live their own life the way they want to live it, or as much of that as they can, trying to stay what they think on the side of grace with God. We'll talk about that in a minute. But they are really uh, rejecting the Lordship of Christ. Because disobedience is saying to Jesus, I don't care, I'm going to do my own thing, you have to forgive me. Now, you know, parents, what you would say if your kid said, I'm not going to obey you, I'm going to do whatever I want, and you have to forgive me. You would say, of course, and I forgive you, right? (laughs) Neither does God. I know it's preached that way, but it isn't true okay So Peter is telling us that there are people who live by their own desires, their own lust, their own flesh, and they despise lordship. they don't like the commandments of God. they cramp their style' they're not they're not good, they're not what they want. It, it's kind of a bummer and so these people pretend to be believers but in fact are not believers. He says that they are especially those who indulge the flesh and corrupt uh, desires and despise lordship. They are daring. They are self-willed. They do not tremble when they uh, revile angelic majesties. talked about this before. Uh, Every once in a while I get some student on campus who's wearing a t-shirt that says Satan sucks. And they think they're being spiritual. Uh, you, You do not speak in a derogatory manner, even to Satan, he has a place of authority over us. He is in rebellion, but you don't bring railing accusations. You remember, and Jude talks about this, when Moses and Michael, when Michael and Satan were arguing over the body of Moses. Satan is in his fallen condition. Michael, who's an archangel less than the cherub, the anointed cherub that Satan is, doesn't bring a railing accusation against him. He simply says, the Lord rebuke you. We are to resist the devil, but we are not to be haughty. The the biblical uh, notion is a humble attitude towards those who are in authority. You remember Paul. Paul was struck by the high priest and he told him off. And they said, you're going to talk that way to the high priest? And Paul says, I'm sorry. I didn't know he was the high priest. He wasn't obviously wearing the robe. He said, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of the leaders of your country. So you stay in your position even when the other person is not. That humility shows that you really reverence the ultimate authority, which is God, who will deal with that person. I always told our kids, uh, if the babysitter tells you to do something, you do it. And if they're wrong, I'm going to get them. So that's this notion. But a self-willed, arrogant person who says, I'm a child of God, I can just say whatever I want, that kind of raising of, of spoiled spiritual brats is becoming a major problem in the church. He says, "...whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring reviling judgment against them before the Lord." Even the angels who are in a higher position don't accuse us that way uh, before the Lord. "...but these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge." Uh, Boy, I've been listening on Facebook, well, reading on Facebook, uh, the stuff that's coming out in all the religious groups right now, and it's just pure craziness. But it's said with such arrogance uh, as if these people are authorities. Uh, And so he says, um, they have no knowledge, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. So these people are acting like animals. They just go with, if they're hungry, they eat, if they're thirsty, they drink, there's no command system that governs their life. What governs their life is their feelings and their emotions and their, and their appetites. Suffering wrong is the wages of doing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. Now, Paul, uh, the writer here is saying, look, we know what happens at night. Nights when people party. Nights when people drink. Nights when people uh, overdo everything. These people do it in the daytime. They don't care about day or night. They don't care about a cover. They just do it because they're being authentically them. Okay, uh, reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you. And the word carouse, are, we're changing to banquet with you because what they do is they come into the church and then when we're having our olneg or we're having an agape and we're eating, they're eating like they just belong because they eat everywhere like they belong because they're not. Really, part of the community of faith. Uh, so he says that they are, um, they have eyes full of adultery. They can never cease from sin. They're enticing, unstable souls. Uh, having a heart trained in greed, they are cursed children. They have forsaken the right way and they have gone astray, following the way of Balaam. The son of Beor, who loved the right wages of unrighteousness. If you know that story, you know that he was willing to compromise religiously for money. And he received a rebuke of his own transgression. The mute donkey, speaking with the voice of a man, restrained the madness of the prophet. They—it's amazing what they are. Uh, what these people are. And you find them all over the church and people think they're Christians with high self-esteem. And they're not. He says, They're springs without water. They're mists driven by a storm for whom the black darkness has been reserved. They speak out arrogant words of vanity. Boy, they just come up with these wonderful bumper sticker theological statements that really sound good until you analyze them. And then they're almost as brilliant as Away in the Manger. Have you ever listened to the words of Away in the Manger? The second verse? Because you're Away in the Manger, it's about the baby Jesus, right? Second verse. The cattle are lowing, the poor baby wakes. But little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. I love thee, Lord Jesus, look down from the sky and stay by my cradle Till morning is not. Now that's a nonsense song. It doesn't matter, it's a lullaby. You can sing anything to a child, they don't know the words. So these people teach this kind of nonsense, and people love it because they're babes in Christ. And they are they are damaging the babies who come to faith because they teach them this rhyming, diming nonsense that's theologically unsound and feeds the flesh and feeds their appetites. So he says, "...they speak out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires and by sensuality those who have barely escaped from the ones who live in error." So we've got the ones who are new believers, they've just come out of the world. Their their lives are almost identical to the world. And this group says, we're going to tell you about Jesus here. And Jesus is going to help you with this. So you can stay as close to this as you want. And still be a believer and go to heaven. And it's just not true. The entire chapter is condemning these people. So he says, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. So they are a facade of faith. They talk and their appearance is there, but they're not real substance. They're filled with vain talk. They claim freedom, but they're not really free. Now let me talk to you about freedom here for a second. Romans chapter 6. Got to get out of that verse because you say, well, that's a pretty negative verse. Let's let's listen to Paul. Paul's a nice guy. (laughs) Romans chapter 6. In verse sixteen of Romans six, Paul says, "Do you not uh, do you not now do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as a servant or a slave of obedience, you are slaves to the one you obey, either to sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. but thanks be to God." That though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to the form of teaching that you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became a slave of righteousness. Just can't help myself. I keep doing the right thing. What did we used to say? Can't help myself. I keep doing the wrong thing. I am speaking in human terms, he says, because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. In the same way that you used to follow those passions and get yourself into trouble, you say, I can't believe I keep doing that, and then I get myself there, you should now be following the Lord in his ways towards sanctification, separation from from that world. You're going to be a servant of one of two things. You're going to be a servant of your desires or you're going to be a servant of God. Servant of your desires, you'll think, what do I want? What do I think? What do I feel? I'm doing it. Or you'll say, what does God want? What does God say? What does God command? I'll do that. And as you walk in that way, you will begin to be motivated by the Spirit to continue in that way if the Spirit is truly in you. Now... If we go back to 2 Peter, just for a second. Um, he says to us, If they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord Jesus... They again become entangled in them. They are overcome and the last state has become worse for them than the first state. These people end up being greater sinners after their so-called or during their so-called profession of faith than before. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and turn away from the holy commandment handed over to them. As it has happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow, after washing, returns to wallowing in its mire. Now, if you've had a dog, most of you haven't had a sow. You may have a purse that's been made out of it. Uh, Dogs will vomit, and then they'll eat their own vomit. They don't have to be trained to do that. It's what dogs do. It's the nature of the beast. You can clean up a pig. You can put a bow on its head. You can put a coat on it. You can do everything you want. And the first chance they get, I've watched this on my grandfather's farm, they're back running amuck in the mud. It's the nature of the beast. So a person who makes a profession of faith, comes out of that, is baptized, and then can't wait to get back in that area is showing a nature that is not the nature of those who have been born again. Because we're under lordship. Now the problem is this. There's a battle with lordship it'd be wonderful. I just I followed the flesh and now I just walk following the Lord and I do it perfectly. Right? Now, the people who tell you they do that are liars. Okay? They're liars. Uh, because there are three things that are going to give us a battle against lordship. One of them is our flesh, the appetites, the body. The second one is the world, the culture. And the third one is the devil, the spiritual battle. The world, the flesh, and the devil, as the theologians used to say. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul tells us what's going to happen with this body. This body of death will be resurrected. And when it does, my flesh is not going to get angry on the 91 freeway. I am not going to want to eat a second pint of... Cherry Garcia, I'm not going to be driven by this flesh. Right now, I have to hold it down so I can obey God and I'm fighting. But one day in the resurrection, that battle will be over. Second, I have to fight the world. Isaiah chapter 2 tells us that one day the Gentiles, I love this, the Gentiles, not the Jews. Will say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and He will teach us His ways, and the law will go forth from Jerusalem and the law from Zion. It it doesn't say that to the Jews; it says that to us. One of these days, we'll be included in that process, and the culture and the framework of of all around us will be the the Scriptures, and it'll be it'll be wonderful. Okay. And Revelation 20 tells us at that same time, this one that has rattled the world from the time of Adam and Eve, the one that the world has feared, who is called Satan and the devil and the dragon, when God is ready, one little angel, I don't know if he's little, just says an angel, one angel will come and grab him Put a chain on him and lock him up. Now think about it. In the kingdom, we'll have resurrected bodies. We won't be fighting the battle of the flesh. We'll have uh, a culture that is permeated with the word of God. And we won't have the battle of the world. And we won't be dealing with spiritual problems because he'll be locked up. That'll be fantastic. Now, that's the good news. The bad news is, That isn't going to happen this week. This week, we're going to battle the world and the flesh and the devil. So I want to talk to you about how you do that. Because if you're really a believer, you're going to do that. And if you're not a believer, you're not going to care about what I'm about to say. So, let's look at that. Galatians chapter 5. The first battle is the battle of the flesh. Because that's the one closest to us. You notice that? I have met the enemy and it is me. Paul talks about this. What I want to do, I can't do. What I want or don't want to do, I end up doing. you know, there's a sin inside me that is driving me crazy, right? So he talks about that in Galatians chapter 5 verse 16. He says, "Now I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh." For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are in opposite directions to each other, so that you cannot do what you please. If you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, just in case you don't know what the flesh is, he gives us a little list. Here are the deeds of the flesh fornication, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envyings, drunkenness, carousings, and things like that. Which I forewarned you that those who practice, those who this is a regular part of their life, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Done oh, but I said the magic words. Nothing here about magic words. Now, notice it says practice. It doesn't say that people who have done this can't go to heaven. But people who this is a lifestyle, this is a regular practice, are lying when they say they're believers. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's no law against those. If we live by the Spirit, we become alive by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another and envying one another, which is what we end up doing. Now, I want you to catch this, because there's a danger here. If you walk after the Spirit, well, how do I know I'm walking after the Spirit? Okay? There are two options. One option is the standard Christian message. You'll just know. He'll put it in your heart. He'll put it in your mind. He'll put it in your heart. He'll put it in your mind. He'll put it in your circumstances. You'll feel it. He's, he changed my heart. He turned my want to into another want to. I love all those platitudes, but they're nonsense. Okay. The old man's going to rise up in the morning and say, I don't want to do it God's way. <laughs> right? And you have to say, Down, boy. <laughs> We're going this direction. Following the Spirit means that you're not under the law. What does that mean? Well, it means I'm under grace. No, it doesn't. It means you're not under the condemnation of the law. So, if I am going this way and there's a stop sign, what am I supposed to do? Stop. What if I don't know the signs? Or I can't read the sign. I once was driving through Tijuana. Only time I ever drove in Tijuana. I was asked to go down and pick up a car and bring it back. I didn't know why, but I shouldn't have done it. Uh, It wasn't drugs. Uh, And uh, I went right through an intersection. uh, Because I didn't see a stop sign. Now there was a sign that said Alto. But I'm a tenor. (laughs) baritone, you know. So I just went right through. And I could have been pulled over. I would have been illegal, right, at that point. I would have broken the law. I would have been under the law. Now, what if somebody would have said, I understand you don't know the language. I understand you don't know all the rules. So here's what I'm going to do. You follow me, and I'll make sure you don't violate. So what would that person have done when they got to the intersection? They would have stopped and I would have stopped, right? So, a person who's following the Spirit of God is not breaking the commandments. If they're breaking the commandments, they're not following the Spirit of God, they're following their flesh. And you make it worse when you say, Well, God led me to do that. God led me to break the commandment. Now you're making God the author of your sin, okay? So, it's a very simple thing. The Spirit of God will lead us in obedience to the commandments and we will not be under the condemnation of the law. And we will then start traveling towards the fruit of the spirit because that's what's manifest there. So we follow the spirit, not the flesh. The spirit's not emotions or circumstances. The spirit leads consistent with the commandments. If he's leading you, you will not sin and break the commandments. Uh, I have one example that it works for me. I don't know if it will work for you. When a captain of a ship comes into a harbor, a pilot gets on the ship. The pilot knows the way much better than the captain. And the pilot drives that ship so that the ship will be safe. And the captain will follow the leading of that pilot when he tells his commands to to his crew. So that's what we're to do. The Spirit of God works consistent with the Word of God so that we will walk by the will of God. Okay, that sounds like a bumper sticker, but it's not. Okay, that was my brief moment of Baptist uh, platitudes. Now, that's the flesh. What about the world? Well, the world we need to look at First John chapter two. First John chapter two, verse fifteen. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of of God... Lives forever. Children, it is the last hour. Just as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now there are many Antichrists that have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. And they went out from us because they were not really of us. For had they been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it could be shown that they were not all of us. He goes on and says, But you have an anointing from the Holy One. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And you know, I have not written to you because you don't know the truth. I have written to you because you know the truth. The scriptures. Who is a liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is Antichrist, the one who denies Father and Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father. What's he talking about? What's the confession? The confession is Jesus is Lord. Right? So you're going to obey. And, and you know that the uh, let that abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the Son. He's talking about the word of God that's proclaimed. And so he talks about the anointing that we have. The Spirit of God is going to lead us away from the world and not into the world. So, To love the world, to say I want to get all of this world that I can and not live for the kingdom to come is not to love the Father. It's to love yourself. And we are to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow the Lord. And so the world is not our home. We are to live now in this world and not be conformed to it. You all know Romans. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This culture, American culture, is one of the most indulging cultures on earth. It is interested in one thing and one thing only. The indulging of the self through the flesh, by pleasure, for fame, for money, for glory, for everything except God. And what we are being fed is a way to have all of that and God too under the guise that it's a Christian nation. And it simply isn't. To love this world is to reject the love of the Father. And this culture, especially ours, feeds our lusts of the flesh and our pride of life. And we must not be conformed to it but know the truth by the Spirit So that we are illuminated in the world, not using our feelings and our thoughts to interpret the word of God. I've talked about the flesh and I've talked about the world. There's one more. That one's found in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 beginning at verse 10. Behind the culture and drawing on deception to feed the flesh is our enemy. And that battle is spiritual. So Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil." Because our struggle really is not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day. Welcome to the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, stand firm therefore. This is not onward Christian soldiers. There is a point in every battle. There is a point in every uh, system where you are not charging. You are trying to stand firm where you are to not lose ground. And that's the imagery. This is a defensive mood, not not an offensive mood that's being addressed here. So he says that we are to uh, have our Our loins gird with truth. Starts with the scriptures. And then put on the the breastplate of righteousness. What is that? Well, what is the word of God? What does the word of God tell us? Tells us what to do, right? So what do you think the breastplate of righteousness would be? It'd be doing it. So you gird your loins with truth and then start walking in the truth and you begin to do righteousness. Okay? And then he says, uh, you should have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That's right out of Isaiah. How beautiful are the feet of those who are bearers of good... Who's bearer of good news? The guy who's gird with the word of God who's walking in righteousness. He has good news. The guy who's the same jerk you are doesn't have any good news. I hate this life. Yeah, me too. But I'm saved. Good for you. Doesn't mean anything. I have something happening in my life that is bringing me towards greater things that God has promised for us and I'm in a community of faith where that is going on and you could get out of that and come with us. That's good news. In addition to all taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil ones. Man, if you've ever Seen movies of battles where they're firing arrows that are flaming. Uh, most of them, they take those shields, everybody huddles together. I wish I had a bigger shield, right? And everybody's together because you don't want one of those to get through. That has to be done in community, folks. You're not going to be able to do that with a shield. You're going to have to join together. It's a community of faith. Oh, faith. That we use so that we don't get picked off. You're not going to get picked off in here by Satan. You're going to get picked off tomorrow. At work, at lunch, at dinner. That's when he's going to fire at you. So we gather together as much as we can. And all the more as we see the day approaching. And then he says, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We're back to the word of God that we're, that's both internal and external in, in use for us. So, that is our battle against the devil. Our battle against the devil is not this nonsense that's going on uh, with people. Let me tell you what the devil does. He does two things, basically two things. Read throughout the whole scriptures, you'll find these two things. This, these are the two schemes of the devil. Scheme one, deception. Has God said, you can't eat of the trees of the garden? Oh, we can eat of all the trees except one. Oh, that's not true. So, what does Satan do? He tries to get a deceptive interpretation of the scriptures. He won't change it completely. It's got to look like you're following God. You're not going to find the devil in the occult. You're going to find the devil at the Southern Baptist Convention. And at the Vatican. And at the places where people are meeting to glorify God. That's where he's going to be. He's got to get just one person to see it different and start the stampede. No, I think it's this way. Yeah, I think it's this way. That sounds good to me because we pool our ignorance. And then we get into a stampede. We call it a revival, and we have a whole new doctrine. He deceives us regarding the word of God. You check it. You have got to be a Berean. Check it against the word. Check it against the word. Check it against the word. Second thing he does, is he sows discords among the brethren. You know, Bob. I heard that. Uh, Trevor's not that good a guy. You know, we we ought to stick together. Stay away from them, you know. Get those little girls. Yeah, yeah. That's what he does. He sows discord among the brethren. Boy, this time of year, I am hearing all kinds of people who are preaching how righteous their group is and how ungodly everybody else's group is. They're so they're dividing the body of Christ. My brother may have a wrong doctrine. He is my brother. My brother may be not practicing everything exactly the way he should. Clearly, he's my brother. Because I don't. But I'm trying to, and he's trying to, and we'll get there because our God is able to make us get there. So we've got to watch out for for two things. Being deceived, and then the arrogance of deception that separates us from our brother. And that's what Satan does. Remember Jesus? I'm going to be... Killed by the chief priests. Peter comes along. Oh Lord, that won't happen to you. Get behind me, Satan. You don't care about the things of God. Dividing the brethren. That's, that's what he does. So, the spiritual battle is not the nonsense of many of these teachers. The devil has two major schemes. Deception and sowing discord among the brethren. He uses his ministers to give the appearance of truth. But they will ultimately indulge in the flesh and he connects the world to the believers so that they become ensnared. He keeps the differences among us as proof that the other person is not of God. Where Paul says there have to be differences among you, that those of you who are approved may be known. So let me tell you what Paul's talking about. It is the person who can walk with fellow Catholics and fellow Pentecostals and fellow Eastern Orthodox and knows where we are agreed in truth and where we differ in trivia. And the other guy would go, no, I'm going to stay pure. That's the divider of the body. In Corinthians, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas. The worst of them were, I'm of Christ. That's the most arrogant of all. We have to watch out for those. What it does is it keeps us from loving one another. And what's the sign of our discipleship? By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Okay, Don't have to have doctrinal agreement. I have to have love for those who name the name of Christ and are struggling against the world, the flesh, and the devil towards the kingdom of God. Now this is what Jesus was talking about. I'm down to my last verse. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. If the salt has become tasteless, how can it be salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone put a lamp and put it under a basket, or, uh, but they put it on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. So let your light so shine before men in such a way that they will see your good works and glorify your Father is, who is in heaven. He doesn't say let them see your evil deeds and then tell them about God's grace. Do not think that I came to abolish the law of the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to bring them to full operation. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth passes away. Check on the way in, they're still out there. Not one of the smallest letters or a stroke shall pass from the law until it is all accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called an evangelical. No, sorry, misread that called least in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever keeps them and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter into the kingdom. What was the biggest condemnation of the scribes and the Pharisees? They talked it, but they didn't do it. And they did it to be seen of men and not to walk in obedience to God. That's the difference. And so we struggle... In our confession of lordship against the world, the flesh, and the devil. It's awareness that our redemption is is accomplished by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Confessing him as lord. And that's a commitment to struggle in obedience to him in this life. Anticipating full obedience to his commands and authority in the kingdom to come. We understand that He is judge of the living and the dead and will reward and punish all men, both the redeemed and the lost. So our struggle is a spiritual one where the devil uses deception and disunity to move us from obedience into indulging the flesh and befriending the culture. We avoid this by following the Spirit in obedience to the commands and therefore loving God, loving our neighbor and one another. And with that I'm almost done but there's got to be one thing going through your head. What about grace? That's next week. (laughs) Let's pray.